You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's February 7th. It was a very busy week in American politics. On Monday, voters in Iowa took part in the country's first contest to pick a Democratic presidential candidate. And on Wednesday, the Senate voted to acquit President Trump of two articles of impeachment. But we're kicking off the show today with another story that was sandwiched right between these two events. Madam Speaker, the President of the United States. On Tuesday evening, President Trump delivered the final State of the Union address of his four-year term. The circumstances surrounding the speech were unprecedented and will likely be what many focus on, but at Rand, we're zooming in on some of the policy challenges the president touched on in his remarks. First, the opioid crisis. Trump vowed not to quit until, quote, we have beaten the opioid epidemic once and for all. Rand Research has tackled several different aspects of the crisis. Most recently, our experts have focused on synthetic opioids like fentanyl, which have transformed illicit drug markets in recent years. The researchers recommend thinking about the fentanyl problem as a mass poisoning rather than a traditional drug epidemic. They also note that innovative and controversial responses, such as supervised drug consumption sites, should be part of the discussion. Other recent RAND research in this area has examined state policies that punish pregnant women for substance use. Findings show that babies born in states with these punitive approaches are more likely to be born with opioid withdrawal. Researchers suggest emphasizing prevention and access to treatment rather than punishing women. Trump also spoke about health care reform, expressing concerns about single-payer health care proposals that have been discussed during the Democratic primary race. RAND researchers have examined this issue, too. First, they studied the potential effects of a single-payer proposal in New York State. Then, they evaluated a hypothetical national plan that would provide comprehensive health care coverage to all Americans, including long-term care benefits and no-cost sharing. Under such a plan, the estimated total health expenditures would have been 1.8% higher in 2019, relative to the status quo. And although this would have been a relatively small change, federal health care spending would have spiked, rising by an estimated 221%. President Trump also referenced the effects of the First Step Act, a bipartisan criminal justice bill he signed into law in December of 2018. Among other measures, the law includes funding for education and jobs programs in America's prisons. Evidence from RAND research shows the value in correctional education programs. Inmates who take part in any kind of educational program are up to 43% less likely to return to prison. These programs save taxpayers money, too. Every dollar invested saves nearly $5 in reincarceration costs over three years. For more research-based insights on some of the policy issues mentioned in Tuesday's State of the Union address, check out our full recap on the RAND blog. And since we're thinking about politics, you probably know that civic engagement activities, like voting or volunteering, are essential for the health of democracy. But it turns out these activities might improve your health, too. 
Evidence from a recent RAND study shows that increased civic engagement is linked to better physical and mental health for individual people and for entire communities. The health benefits extend to many different areas, including lower rates of cancer, heart disease, and depression. Now, we're not saying that exercising your right to vote is like exercising at the gym. In fact, there's a lot that still isn't understood about the link between civic engagement and health. For one, it's not clear whether better health causes more civic engagement or whether more civic engagement causes better health. But as U.S. primary elections continue this month, it's nice to know that taking your turn at the ballot box might actually boost your well-being. At the time we're recording this, more than 630 people have died from the new coronavirus in China, and the number of infections continues to soar. There are also confirmed cases of this novel respiratory virus in more than two dozen other countries. In congressional testimony this week, Rand's Jennifer Bowie explained how China and the U.S. have collaborated to fight past outbreaks, including SARS. Bowie stressed the importance of Beijing and Washington continuing long-term cooperation on this front. But she also detailed China's more immediate needs for support. China is in a full-fledged battle with the new coronavirus, she says. Healthcare workers are exhausted, and important equipment such as testing kits, face masks, and gloves are all in short supply. This is why it's important for U.S. health professionals to reach out now with humanitarian and technical aid. Another way to help is for the U.S. government to reduce stigma and unfriendly gestures toward people from China and Wuhan at this tense and sensitive moment. And because developing countries may not have healthcare systems that are capable of stopping the spread of the coronavirus, Bowie says that the CDC could work with the Chinese government to map out potential options for offering help. The goal of deterrence is to prevent aggression. But if deterrence is too heavy-handed, then it might prompt the very aggression it seeks to avoid. A new RAND paper examines how NATO can prevent this from happening when deterring Russia. The authors identify Russia's red lines, which NATO likely cannot cross without eliciting a major or hostile response from Moscow. Simply put, these are Russia's triggers. They consist mostly of key national interests, including defending its borders and preserving the Russian regime, maintaining influence in most former Soviet Union countries, and fulfilling the vision of Russia as a great power. Any actions that threaten these interests would likely prompt some kind of reaction from Vladimir Putin's government. But it's important to note that these so-called red lines can be blurry. It's not easy to anticipate what kind, if any, reaction there will be. That said, there are some methods of deterrence that are less likely than others to provoke Russian escalation. The most promising? Carefully calibrated changes in ground force posture. Using robotic ground vehicles in U.S. Army convoys could help increase efficiency and save soldiers' lives. But it would also bring new technical and tactical risks. A RAND report released this week explores different options for deploying autonomous vehicle technology. The authors find that a mix of both manned and unmanned vehicles, specifically a convoy in which automated trucks, each with a single soldier, follow a fully manned truck, may be the best option. Keeping a human operator involved provides a level of helpful redundancy, 
and can compensate for the current shortcomings in automated technology. According to the report, this partially automated convoy concept is ready for the Army to adapt and deploy in both urban and highway environments, and it could be developed for trail driving today. However, the Army will have to be prepared for changes in convoy tasks, training, and organization. Is it bad if my partner and I sleep apart? That's the question Rand's Wendy Troxell hears most often as a sleep scientist and clinician. In fact, she made her answer to that question the subject of a recent TEDx talk. Just as sleeping together doesn't guarantee a successful relationship, she says, sleeping apart doesn't mean that you and your partner have an unsuccessful relationship either. So, what should couples do when it comes to sleep? Here's Troxel. Use open and honest communication to find solutions that will maximize sleep quality for both of you. And if sleeping apart seems like the right choice, then think of it not as filing for a sleep divorce, but rather forging a sleep alliance with your partner. The bottom line: there's no one-size-fits-all sleeping strategy for couples, but everyone should be making sleep a priority. You can watch Troxel's full TEDx talk at Rand.org. Rand is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org/podcast. See you next week.